Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,790. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm back in Lake Elsinore. You remember the last show that I did with uh, Mark Fletcher. We were in Lake Elsinore. Well, I'm back there again with a very special guest by the name of Rich Truesdale. Richard, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Yes, I am, always. We'll have some fun here. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, or we're going to dive into the other side of this very cool book that you and Mark did, what's one little thing that most people may not know about you? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that I was a uh, high school social studies teacher when I graduated college. Really? Wow. Yep. Well, I know you've reinvented yourself many times, and we're going to talk about that, but high school social studies. Wow. Now, what what era would this have been in? What year? I uh, graduated 1976 in December after student teaching. Uh, substitute taught for six months and got the very first job I interviewed for, a high school social studies teacher in North Plainfield, New Jersey. Very cool. 76. That's the year I graduated from high school. So we're of the same genre. I guess those young <laughs> kids would call us boomers. I'll wear that badge with pride. So, uh, all right. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. Richard Truesdale has been an automotive photojournalist for over 25 years. He has photographed and collaborated on over 25 automotive books. His lifelong, or he is a lifelong traveler and automotive enthusiast who combines his passion to create a career that few have enjoyed driving cars, telling stories here in the U.S. and abroad. Rich reinvented himself numerous times, and like he said, he's taught high school, he's launched and produced books, Autotronics Departments in Motor Trend, a launching automotive traveler, he launched Chevy Enthusiast for Amos Automotive, and he's appeared on the Jay Leno's Garage Show to promote Hearst Equipped. Richard's life in the automotive industry has been varied and very exciting, to say the least, and today He's going to share his collaboration with Mark Fletcher, who was on the show yesterday, about this wonderful book that they call 1970 Maximum Muscle Cars. Oh, I love it. You regular listeners will remember that Rich was guest number 586 back in April of 2016. So he's a Cars Yeah alumni. We'll be back in just a minute to talk with Rich, but first a word from our valued sponsors. So sit tight, keep the seatbelts on, we're moving fast today. We'll be right back. Are you ready to get out and hit the road? Boy, I sure am. This country has so much to offer, and what better way than to get out and drive? Covercraft protects the things that move you. From protective covers for the outside of your vehicles to the inside, with dash covers, seat covers, and sunscreens, all creatively designed to keep your vehicle cool for those roadside stops for a meal or to take in the view. Covercraft custom tailors their designs for your special vehicles and manufacturers with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Road trips can be hard on your vehicle surfaces, so protect them. And when you get home, 
cleanup is fast and easy. And you want to get a deal? Well, I've got one just for you. Use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments of cars, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21, yeah, 21 at checkout. I've been protecting my vehicles with Covercraft covers since 1975. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Go to Covercraft.com today. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled are stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. All right, Rich, uh, let's continue with a success quote or a mantra. Some kind of saying that has incorporated into your life something important you feel like has moved you through the many different facets that you call your life. It's a nice way to get the tires smoking since we're talking muscle cars here today. So, Rich, grab the wheel. Okay. My uh, guiding words are, if you don't ask, you'll never know if you'll get it. And the best example of that was I uh, missed a flight at Heathrow to cover the 2005 Geneva Auto Show. And on the plane that I got on next to hop to Paris, where I was picking up a Chrysler Crossfire SRT8 from six SRT6 from the then Daimler Chrysler press fleet to drive to Geneva, and I get seated on this short hop to Paris, and this guy is sitting next to me, and he's reading the um, Automotive News Europe, dressed in what I thought might have been a two thousand dollars suit. I'm dressed as I am right now in a t-shirt and uh, jeans and uh, so we both knew we were you know i knew he was in the automotive industry we started talking and the conversation got to a point that i asked him if uh that i tried to get a ford mustang that was the 2005 was brand new and they weren't selling officially in europe and i said my request got turned down and he had handed me his card and it said paul harrison director Ford Public Affairs of Europe, and he turns to me with a smile on his face, and he says, Rich, I was the guy who turned down your request. Oh, my God. Now, this was at a, wow. this is at a time that, you know, the previous year I had gotten a Corvette in Amsterdam and drove to Geneva. So I always make these trips to cover an auto show to be something more than that. So he, he said, uh, see me in Geneva, check me out at the booth. Uh, let me see if I can get you to a Ford GT, our press car for a day. Ford, G- 
For you said four yeah. GT. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the four GT, the two thousand and five four GT, and uh, I got off the plane. Called a good friend of mine up, uh, Clyde Madsen, and I said, "Clyde, I need to know where all the vintage GT40 are in Europe. I may be able to put together a road trip to see them all." So he proceeded to help me out. He was very big in the Shelby Club at the time. Yeah, I know and Clyde. I, yeah, shout out to okay, Clyde. Yeah, known him for decades. Okay. Yep. And uh, I get to uh, Geneva, and I've already got a point-to-point-to-point itinerary laid out to present to Paul, that would take a week, to uh, meet up with a half a dozen 64 to 67 Ford GTs. He says, Rich, I meant a day, not a week, <laughs> but let me work on it. So we, we exchanged emails, went back and forth. I was back in New Jersey, get a call from him, and he says, I'm set for your trip. Uh, we're going to have you come over in May. You've got the car for, I've got a week opening for you. I said, oh, great. And I was in the car with my parents and my father, who's not with me anymore. He says, you are absolutely nuts, son. And the, the, the cool thing about this was, and you know, we all think about when we started as car geeks. Mine was when I was 10 years old and I watched the 65 Le Mans which my hero Phil Hill was driving in for GT. And we watched it. They bounced an hour of it. I think this even predates you, but they would bounce an hour of it off on Saturday at 10 a.m., 4 o'clock French time, and 10 a.m. on Sunday for the finish. So that was the day back in 1965 that I knew I was a car geek. Uh. And it's been a wild ride ever since but to get back to the story paul said we'll set you up for may all you gotta do is get your sorry bud over here we'll take care of the rest and he called me up about a month later he says rich i got bad news for you an unaccredited journalist wrecked the press car the press 4gt at monza he said we don't know if we're going to rebuild it we may write it off (laughs) oh shoot Uh, but that's what i (laughs) yeah that's what i said to him and he called me back a couple of weeks later. He says, Rich, you're back on. It's going to be July. We have this little company called Aston Martin that was then part of the Ford Premier Auto Group. And he says, they have a, whatever it is, a, a platform to rebuild the car because it has to be done to, to very precise specifications. So called up a, uh, at, when I was at Geneva, I went over to the Daimler Chrysler booth. I said, you guys got a Viper in Europe? And he says, yeah, we do. Nobody wants to drive it. They can't handle it. I said, well, I may be doing a story this spring. Put it aside for me. Can I set up a date for it? So that worked out good. Yeah. So when I got to the Ford booth uh, and talked to Paul, I said, I, I've already got a Viper. So I'm coming to Europe, come hell or high water. So he said, well, we'll get you set up. And then the accident happened, but then it got postponed to July. Called a friend of mine up from Boston Acoustics, Matt Malone. I said, Matt, you want to spend a week in Europe with me? I got a chance to drive a 4GT and a Viper, and I can't drive them both at the same time. <laughs> Needless to say, Matt jumped on that opportunity. I think so, yeah. And that story was published in a, a, among magazines I'm really most proud of. It was first published in October in Octane in the UK, and then over the years I've spun it off more than a dozen times in magazines all over the world. Wow. And... Uh, 
it's what I'm probably best known for as a, as a, a writer and a journalist and a photographer. God, well, I wish I had videotaped it. Yeah, well, it's a it's a great lesson. Yeah, uh, always ask. If I'd known that, I'd had a lot more dates in high school and college. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, where where were you back then? Well, let's talk about this book that you've collaborated on with your friend Mark Fletcher. We talked at length yesterday with Mark about his side of the story. So I want to hear your perspective of the story. You're known as a photojournalist, but you're also you contributed heavily to the writing in this book as well. Mark wanted me to make sure I said that. Because he said, he, "Oh no, he was." He, a, he thinks of me. He thinks of me primarily as a photographer, but I would say he wrote about seventy-five percent of the text. I wrote the remainder. But how it came about, I think, is again goes back to your previous question. We had collaborated on Hearst Equip, and he at the time owned a sixty-nine AMC Scrambler, and I approached our Hearst Equip publisher, which was Cartech to do a 69 and a half book. And he may have reiterated some of this to you. And they turned it down. So I said, this is too good of an idea. Now, this was late 2018. And I took it over to Motorbooks, who was going through a change in editors there. So it kind of got lost for a couple of weeks. Finally, I followed up with it, who ultimately turned out to be our editor there, Dennis Parnu. And I said, Dennis, can I do a 20, uh, excuse me, a uh, 1969 and a half muscle car book because nobody's covered that. And that's a really important six months in time. You know, 15 very significant cars were introduced between the 1969 models in the fall and the 1970 models in the, the following fall. Well, he turned that down, said it's just too tight of a time frame. And we're already working on this book, Maximum Muscle, with Darwin Holstrom who was leaving, I believe, Motorbooks at the time. So I saw a oh, lost opportunity, and I said, well, maybe we'll talk again. Well, he calls me up in a couple of weeks and says, uh, Darwin has turned the book back to Motorbooks and said, would you like to pick it up? And I said, sure. You know, oh, cool. <laughs> you know, we live for this. We live for this, and I brought Mark into it almost immediately because – I knew it, at the time it was going to be more than I can handle by myself, and I trust Mark's instincts. He's a great researcher. So that's how Maximum Muscle came about, and you know we're really proud of the book. Uh, it's one of Motorbook's big releases for 2021, and uh, so that's why I'm on the show promoting it. This book will be available the first week in May, so I'll make sure I put a link on Richie Shonen's page and on Mark Shonen's page where you can go and get yourself a copy as soon as it gets out. When you think about this very small window of time for automobiles, U.S. automobiles, muscle cars as we call them, what does this period of time mean to you? Well, I was just coming of driving age. wouldn't start driving until 72, but... Those cars were in the parking lot at my high school uh, in New Jersey. And, you know, I already had the bug. And I remember going to the dealerships to see the cars, to get the brochures. My dad was really great about doing that. He started doing that with me every September when the cars were introduced every September. And we would go to the dealerships close by. And, I, you know, that's how I kind of got started really in this and i've been fortunate enough over the years to have owned a couple muscle cars myself 
and they just every time I get behind the wheel of one, whether it's mine or not, it brings back great memories. It brings back a time in a life that you know I can't go back to it, but I can go back to it when I'm behind the wheel of a seven liter American muscle car. They mean more to me than the Ferrari I once owned because I'm an American kind of guy. And these cars represent the best of America at that time. They really do. And they did. They still do to this day. That's why they're so special. Are there a couple vehicles in that period of time, one or two, that really stand out for you, that really tick a lot of boxes for you? Well, one was my first, which was a a 68 uh, Mercury Cougar. Inherited it from my uncle's then wife, now ex-wife. It was a uh, lime green, I think is the color, black painted top, Mercury Cougar, 390 under the hood, which that year was the biggest engine you could get. But the car had an anom- two anomalies. One, it was, a, an, it was a real Dan Gurney edition. Two, it had manual drum brakes. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And I remember the most white-knuckle drive of my entire life. And that includes driving almost 200 miles an hour on the Autobahn, driving home from college in December 76, and it was snowing. I even went further south of the Pennsylvania Turnpike, drove through Frostburg, Maryland to avoid the snow. And I got home to my parents' house in New Jersey about two in the morning. And my father said to me, Richard, you look like you're as white as a sheet. And I told him, told him why. Yeah. It was a white knuckle drive, that's just for sure. The other one would probably be, because I'm an AMC guy, I'd probably want a 70 Rebel machine more than any of them. That would be the car I would want. And what is it about the Rebel machine? It's the high watermark of American Motors performance cars, of that, that production cars. You know, you've got the AMX-3s, the limited production cars, things like that, the SS AMXs. But that was a car, you can probably go out and still buy a pretty nice one, you know, a driver quality one for twenty five grand. That, I think, would be a car because it's not a Mustang, it's not a Camaro, it's not a Chevelle, it's not a Fairlane, it's not, you know, a waned Mopar. It's a really oddball car, and I think it really suits my personality. Very cool. Well, I'm not going to call you an oddball, and Mark didn't call you an oddball. So uh, he's called me other things. He has called you. Writing the book, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you two share an affection for AMC. Let's talk about challenges because you guys undertook this book, and you were working on this book. And I'm thinking of a photographer having to go out and shoot pictures during the pandemic year we dealt with last year, and the challenges that faced. So, Mark, told me a little bit about you have this incredible library of imagery that you've acquired over the years but was that the biggest challenge for you being involved in this book well the book kept slipping uh behind in production and on the submission side and i had a very aggressive plan to finish up the photography i shot probably more than two-thirds of the cars for the book already but i had planned in the spring of 2020 to really nail down the remaining dozen or so cars and then COVID hit so being a social media geek, I guess you could call me, and that's how we know each other too, Yeah, I went on Facebook, went on Twitter, and connected with people that owned the missing cars. And instead of me flying to photograph them, which could have ate most of the budget for the book, 
I developed a set of tutorials to teach people how to photograph their own car. Brilliant. And we got all of the needed remaining cars from a, a number of people who provided either pictures that they'd shot to sell cars, some of the dealers that whose names escape me at this point. I probably can go to the, um, the uh, credits page of the book and remember more of them. It really, it really is terrible when you get to be our age, might be 66, <laughs> yeah. that you just, your mind just doesn't remember the things that you remembered at the top of your head. But through the spring and right into the summer, I acquired the remaining photos. Some of the photos were fantastic. About the only thing that these contributors couldn't typically get would be the car-to-car tracking shots that I'm pretty well known for, for doing. And it's not very hard to do. I mean, I had the way to do it in the tutorials. It's involved me hanging out of a lot of uh, passenger side windows of, of a lot of cars that Mark has driven as I photographed from the middle lane many cars in the slow lane on the interstates close by us. It's a, you know, it's what I do. Yeah. And the book came together. Dennis, I think, uh, threatened to cancel it a couple of times, but it, we got it done. It, it ended up not coming out on the 50th anniversary year. So the f- focus of the book changed a little bit. And because we have all those 69 and a half cars, it morphed to maximum muscle, a celebration of muscle cars of that 18-month window rather than a 1970 muscle car book. And I'm really thankful for that because nobody has written a book quite like that. And as you well know, talking to many of your guests, that category has been written to death by many of my colleagues, all who are great writers and photographers, but we're all regurgitating the same stuff. And I can tell you that bringing Mark into the process and his interviews with some of the owners, it's almost more of a experience book than a book about the cars, if, if that makes any sense. And I think I've sent you the PDF of the, yeah. the final layout. I think you can see what we were trying to accomplish. And I hope that the book is well received. I think it will be. Oh, absolutely. I know it will be. It, it's a great special era. And as we joke about being boomers, I mean, for for people and even younger people that are learning about these cars now uh, and becoming interested in them. And, and many of them are still somewhat affordable uh, and attainable and versus being like Ferraris or some of these very, very high end collectors where it costs lots and lots of money. It's a great job you guys have done. Great collaboration, brilliant work, a lot of fun. And I'll make sure I put links to the listeners here, how you can get your hands on a copy. We'll take a short break. We come back. We're going to dive a little deeper into your personal passion for cars. You alluded to at the beginning. So Keep the seatbelts on. We'll be right back. I'm honored to say that my charity of choice here at Cars yeah is Tech Force Foundation. They help young people find an education and career that aligns with their passions. For those who love cars, problem solving, and working with their hands, a career as a professional automotive technician is the perfect fit for a fulfilling life. We're all wired differently, and not every successful career demands a four-year university. Technical education and the skilled trades matter, and we need qualified skilled technicians to keep our vehicles rolling. Learn more about how you can support tomorrow's driving force and workforce of technicians at techforce.org, like I do here at Cars Yeah. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market 
driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. Join Linkage. Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So you touched on being with your dad and going to car shows and movies back in the day. Was there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that being around cars was going to be the thing you were going to do, even though you first launched into social studies teaching in high school, which is far from cars? Uh, Mark, it goes back to when I was nine years old. At the time, that would be 1963, my mom drove, her daily driver was a 1961 Ford Thunderbird. Cool. Mom drove cool cars. My dad made sure that dad drove company cars. Mom drove Thunderbirds and Lincolns. Nice. But uh, I'm walking home from school, and this bronze-colored car drives by me, and it doesn't sound like any other car I've ever heard. So I get home that night, and I tell my dad, I said, Dad, I, I saw this really unusual car. I had no idea what it was. And remember, I'm nine years old. We didn't have the internet. We couldn't go look up Chrysler Turbine car on the web. <laughs> um, and six months later, in April, we were at the New York Auto Show, excuse me, the New York World Fair on the day it opened. We had driven through the Ford Rotunda. We were walking to the Chrysler exhibit, and there it was. I said, Dad, the same car. The car. Wow. It, well, it was a it was a bronze blowtorch Chrysler turbine car. Wow. So I've always been fascinated with them. I just think it's a cool car, and I learned that Elwood Engel designed the my mom's Thunderbird, and then left Ford and went to Chrysler, and was primarily responsible for the turbine car, which gives you some reason why they kind of look a little they bit alike. They do have a lot of the same design features, don't they? Proportion, proportions. Fast forward to 2006, at the height of my automotive journalism career, you know, a year after the 4GT trip, and a week before I'm going to drive from Denver to Los Angeles in the then new Challenger with a classic Challenger. Wow. Uh, I'm in Auburn Hills and pulling some strings, got to drive one of the two cars that the Walter P. Chrysler Museum had at the time. The one Jay Leno didn't buy. This was the other one. And I've, you know, been with Jay in the, obviously in Jay Leno's garage and he was very happy to show me his. But this was a, a boyhood dream come true because when that program ended in 66 most of the cars got crushed and i cry every time i think about it and i got to drive around the perimeter of the uh, ctc in auburn hills and that was you know one of the greatest days of my my life I, you know driving the 4gt at le mans nuremberg ring it also counts high on the list but Getting to drive the Chrysler Turbine car, I guess I was in my mid-50s at the time. Wow. And that was really, really cool. You know, uh, more so than any of the Ferraris or Lamborghinis or 
exotic cars that I've driven over this wonderful 25-year career I've enjoyed. That was mighty special. And I got to share it with one of my car buddies, Joe Babias, because he lived in Detroit at the time. And I jumped out of the Chrysler Turbine car into a car driven by Joe and got tracking shots of the Chrysler Turbine car. Nice. So that's pretty, those are some of my favorite photos uh, in my portfolio. And, and always want to thank Brant uh, at the Walter P. Chrysler Museum, wherever it is right now, because I think the old building is now office space. The collection is, ha the Chrysler collection is housed uh, elsewhere. But that was a, just a really special day of my life. I got to share it with one of my other good car buddies, uh, Joe Babia. So, uh, Joe, if you're hearing this again, just thanks for a great day then. Well, thank you for sharing it with us today. That was a pretty cool ride. I love it. Well, you've had no doubt a lot of special vehicles in your life. Is there one that really stands out other than that experience, of course? Maybe a vehicle you've owned that really stands out really special for you? I think it's always the first one. <laughs> okay. And in my case, in the fall of 1972, while many of my rich friends had brand new Mustangs, and Camaros, and other cool cars, I bought for, I think, $300 with the money I made cutting lawns that summer, a 1965 Rambler American 440H, two-door hardtop, white roof on red body, bucket seats. And um, I've owned a couple more since that. That one disintegrated on me. Uh, reverse gear went on it. So my last three months in high school, I was driving through parking spaces to park it. And sometimes getting in trouble because I would end up parking in somebody else's parking spot. <laughs> but I'd like to have a really nice one again. And, you know, I'm also a Jeep guy. I've owned a, a very special 69 Jeep Super Wagoneer, the first luxury SUV. And right now I've started looking because they're available and they're not really expensive. I'd like to have a 1998 Jeep Grand Cherokee 59 Limited because one of my friends at Chrysler was uh, on the design team for that, and uh, he has since passed away. And I, I think about him every time I see one on the road, and I said, you know what, That I've owned the first luxury SUV. It'd be kind of cool to own the first performance SUV as well. Yeah. You know, I, my Ferrari days and things like that are, are well past. I enjoyed them at a time when my life was different. And I, you know, had a business, a car stereo store that I could expense the Ferrari out against because <laughs> we used it as a demo vehicle. Yeah. Uh, that's how I, that's how I justified it. And, and that car got a lot of ink back in the days. It was um, in Ca uh, Cavallino magazine, which I think is still being published. Yeah, just got my new one in the mail, actually. Uh, what's the guy's name that's the editor? Well, John, John Barnes. Barnes. Yeah, John Barnes, but I understand he has sold that publication to someone else. So it's now in, oh. he may still be involved, but yeah, John, his wife, lovely wife, Alicia, I believe his daughter working on that publication. I got to go to several Cavalino events back in the day, had great fun. John's a wonderful guy. He is. He definitely is. Gave, gave me one of my early breaks, that's for sure. Very cool. Now, here's a very introspective question, Rich. I'm going to crawl into your skull a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a vehicle, you were manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, but your personality as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Hmm. I don't, you know, I know you asked me. That's a, that's a. Sometimes that's a tough one. Trips people up. Well, Relating to 
my first car. There's a forward story to it. In 1965, AMC sold the tooling for the 64 and 65 Americans because they were going to be restyled for 66 to Industries Kaiser Argentina, IKA. And they produced from 67 to 82 a Pina Farina restyled version of that 65 Rambo American uh, called the Torino. Okay. And I first saw one of those in 69 on a visit to California. When I went to a car show, my, my uncle Bob took me to a car show in the town he lived in. Um, can't think of the name of it. That's so crazy. <laughs> I just, you know, it just slips my mind. But at that car show was one of these Torinos, which was only a year or so old at the time. Right. And it was owned by the Council General of the Argentine Consulate in L.A. Oh, now, this is two years, three years before I bought my own Rambler American. I just thought the car was really cool, and it had a typical Pina Farina dash like you'd find in a Ferrari of that era. Wow. So I'd like to come back as an IKA Torino. Of all the cars you could come back as, I just think from my perspective, you know, my first car being that, that 65 Rambler, I just think this is like a Rambler American that, crashed with a ferrari 330 <laughs> two plus two kind of thing yeah so that that's a that's a kind of, I, I bet you're never going to get an answer like that from any of your other guests that's no sure. that was a unique one but that's why that question i like it it brings some very unique answers all right we're into what i call the last lap the lightning round very quick answers very quick questions so here we go what's one of your personal habits rich that you believe has contributed to your successes over your career uh drive what you like don't care what what others think. Yeah, definitely. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, of which you probably had many, either living or deceased, who would it be? Lee Iacocca. That would be something. Yeah, I'd like to join you. And I, I actually did a story on his car that uh -huh. he got that he bequeathed to his daughter. Oh, and what uh, was that car? It was a 65 Mustang convertible. Ah. And his daughter, Leah, and I drove it around... Irvine, California, by John Wayne Airport. Uh, she met me at Crevier Classic Cars, where the car was being stored. I was there. I was at Crevier, and there was this Mustang in the back, and they were storing it for her at the time. They had another uh, a 2005 generation Mustang that was also owned by her father, and this was done not long after Lee passed away. So I never had that opportunity to interview him, talk to him for any more, anything more than a minute at a car show. But I did get to talk to and become friends with his daughter. And, and, and she's a, a, just a, was a sweetheart for the, the time it was we spent together. And, and I, I owe her a phone call. Very cool. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to automotive advice, has someone ever offered great advice to you? And what was it? Goes back to the Ferrari. When my best friend, uh, Steve Benavegna, and uh, I picked up the car on Long Island, and the next day, we, at the time I owned a car stereo store in Central Jersey, and um, Steve and I uh, drove down to my parents' house down the Jersey Shore and pulled into the driveway. 
and my my dad came out. My dad was not a car guy per se. You know, he had a new company car every two years, but he was an enthusiast. He, you know, I obviously inherited this from someone. He never drove a boring car. It was never, and I have nothing against Toyotas, but we never had a white Toyota. He never had a white Toyota company car. Mm-hmm. He always had a big American car. He always bought my mom a succession of really cool cars, the 61 Thunderbird, a 67 four-door thunderbird and in a succession of lincoln mark cars and the last one was a mark five a cartier edition and he was on the road and he told my mom to go down to marino lincoln mercury in uh, plainfield new jersey just pick one out and they had a uh, a warehouse full of them and she picked out the cartier one and uh, i passed up an opportunity to inherit that car and i regret that to this very day you know, I'd moved to Albuquerque after uh, the cartoons era, went to work for a couple of companies, and I just didn't think it was practical to have it at the time, and my, my parents ended up selling it, and I, that's one of the regrets um, I do have, because that would be a legacy, a solid, tangible legacy that I would have right. uh, of my dad, who had a, you know, a tremendous impact on how I turned out. and. He's been gone 12 years now, and a day doesn't go by that I don't think of him. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Well, when it comes to resources, and we, you and I couldn't have dreamed about the resources we have today when we were kids, is there a go-to for you, a place you find yourself maybe every day? Um, not maybe every day, but oldcarbrochures.com, because I'm always researching cars, and they have thousands of PDFs or present online presentation of car brochures that cover the era that I cover, and that's the post-war era. Right. You know, I'm getting ready to launch a mag, a quarterly magazine that covers from 45 to 79. You know, the year I started cartoons. So it's really great. I, you know, I I go back and look at my own website automotivetraveler.com i think i sent you links to access it yep. with my my partner bill basur we've indexed most of the great articles that we produce and that includes a bunch of very well-known uh, automotive journalists brenda pretty just so many uh friends that i made over the years uh, joe bobby Oz and, and others that we produce some really good stuff. We just were really ahead of our time. We came out in 2007. It was perfect for the iPad that hadn't yet been invented. <laughs> so, you know, but we repurpose that material. Occasionally, I'll send something to an editor or somebody will see a story and say, oh, well, Rich, I, can I get the digital assets for this, the words and the images? And, you know, certainly I've got it all stored online in more than a quarter of a million automotive images, three terabytes. And that's just a portion of what I've shot wow. over the last uh, 25 years. If there's a, a stock photo agency that's uh, listening to this, contact me because yes. I'm ready to, to buy that house in Italy on the Adriatic <laughs> coast, as I threaten so often to do. And I'm ready to uh, leverage that into a bed and breakfast uh, in 
you know, Abruzzo, Italy. Sounds very nice. I can't wait to come over and join you. Well, I always ask my guests about books. Obviously, I'm going to list the book that we're talking about today. I'm also going to list some other books that you have done with Mark, the the Hearst book. Of course, we mentioning, we're mentioning today Maximum Muscle, Hemi Under Glass. I'll put links to all of these so you can get your hands on them. Is there maybe one more you want me to add to the list? Um, if you go on Amazon and you uh, use their search box and just put my last name in T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L and Automotive Traveler. And you'll see the self-published books, which is my area of expertise now. I I help other authors produce their own books. I I just uh, signed up with somebody to help them with their book. And even the project that I have to complete, because I started writing it in... 1988, and I am just uh, finishing it now, is a Winds of War, War and Remembrance-style historical novel. Wow. And it's called Survival, and I expect it'll be out in 2022, but it's how I think my life would have been lived had I been born in 1919 instead of 1954, and it takes my readers through the period 1936 to 1945. You know, I, I go to Germany as a 17-year-old son of a General Motors engineer, meet up with a really cool German girl, and the book is their story, wow. fiction. And uh, as soon as we get done, I go back to the laptop and I bang out another 300 words. That's the discipline one has to have to get this thing done. And, you know, my agent, Eric, calls me up says rich get off your butt stop being distracted <laughs> get that book finished because i can't make any money unless you do right and and he's uh he's he's really really encouraging me although i i you know i'm a bookworm and i know that it'll be a big day in my life if it happens that i walk into my local barnes and noble and it's there when you walk in the door but we both think that the way the entertainment business has evolved, especially in the, in the wake of COVID now, that it has uh, a four-episode miniseries to be produced by either Amazon or, or Netflix. It won't be a big budget thing, but there are cool cars in that book nice. because that's just the way I am. Yeah. And Can't wait. I got to get that sucker done. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, you do. So you better get back to work. Well, I will let you go in just a second. But first, I'm going to buy you a very cool car today, Rich. Anything in the world you want, I'm going to park it in your garage. What's it going to be? What do you ask that question? I'm a Jeep guy. Yeah. And I can't afford, at this point, until I sell the book, my, my novel, I can't afford to go out and spend $90,000 for Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. I think I would be almost as happy if you parked a 1998 Jeep Grand Cherokee 5.9 Limited in the garage. They built 15,000 of them. I actually got to drive one in Europe because they were assembling them in Graz, Austria. But I have a 99 Grand Cherokee right now. That's my daily driver when I'm not in a press fleet vehicle. And I think those 5.9 Limiteds are very, very cool cars. They're historically significant and 
I don't think you have to spend more than $5,000, Mark, to park it in my garage. Well, thanks for being a cheap date today, Rich. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Usually, I'm buying very expensive stuff for my guests. Rich, you have taken us on a really fun ride. I think we could talk a lot more. When you get that survival novel done, we'll have to have you come back and talk more about that. Before I let you go, could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance? Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Yeah, boy, the words of a writer. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. What's the best way for people to keep up with you? Facebook, beware. I talk about my passions, Um, automobiles, obviously. Yep. You know I talk and write about politics. Uh, I write about tiny homes. Uh, They fascinate me. I kind of live in one, 29 feet long. Yep. And, And it will go. 85 miles an hour. That's the cool thing about it. Absolutely. But my Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Richard dot Truesdell. And that's T-R-U-E-S-D-E-L-L dot three. Engage me. Send me a uh, friend request. I'll be happy to approve you. Although I'm very close to that 5,000 Facebook limit. Yeah. Well, then it's time to go back and knock some people off the, the wall that you don't uh, want to have around. <laughs> yeah, I've been told that I, I should do that. The other thing I love writing about is the other book I'm working on, which is Carchitecture. It's mid-century modern cars photographed with mid-century modern architecture. So there's a Carchitecture group, small but growing, uh, on Facebook as well. So if you if you search Carchitecture, you'll find us. Oh, it's yeah. really cool. Some wonderful people there. I hope you join if you don't already. I, you know, I'll do that because I love that. My father was an architect. Um, I've seen some great photo shoots. Uh, Michael Allen Ross, photographer, has done some cool stuff for Porsche publication with Porsches in those types of vehicles. Yeah. So our, our homes, rather. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Listeners, you can find everything Rich has shared with us today on his show notes page on the Cars Out website. Thank you. For spending some time with us today. Congratulations on this new book. Call me back when Survivor's out. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you having me on. You're very welcome. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States. That's right. And Cars Yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars Yeah! has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars Yeah! every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyad.com or through the website at carsyad.com today to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!